<laughs> Thank you for joining me for Heart to Heart with SEK. Um, I'm excited to return to podcasting after several months. Um, not a year. I started this podcast in 2020. Um, and the onset of the coronavirus pandemic. And we've just been Today starts season two and part one of a series entitled Separation and Divorce in Faith Communities. This topic is very near and dear to my heart considering my experience as a divorcee and um, my commitment to a church, really to a faith community and um, my background. So episode one is all about my story And um, honestly, this is one of the most frightening things that I've ever done. Um, I've never really talked about my story publicly. Um, So this is a first. And um, as I speak, I'm getting emotional about the journey that I've taken. Um, And so, you know, I just want to be very transparent and and very open and honest about this topic. The interesting thing about this topic is that um, it is, there's silence around this topic in many faith communities. We are um, told not to talk about separation and divorce. And in many faith communities, um, the idea is preached or supported that God does not um, approve of divorce, um, that you have to go over um, and above and beyond to have evidence in order to divorce from your spouse and be approved by faith, some faith communities. And some faith, other faith communities just simply don't acknowledge um, divorces. And so there's a lot of silence around separation and divorce. Yet, I remember growing up in the church and seeing couples uh, attending the same church who were separated. Um, And then later, those couples um, may have gotten a divorce. Um, But I particularly remember quite a few couples who were divorced or should I say separated um, for years without ever getting a divorce. And so I think that this is um, my season to share my story of marriage and divorce in hopes that I would encourage someone 
you know, who has experienced it or someone who may be currently separated or, you know, someone who um, may be con- contemplating separation and divorce in your faith community um, and maybe you don't feel encouraged, maybe you don't feel supported or, you know, this is for the divorcee who feels alone even in faith communities where we're supposed to gain strength in numbers, where we're supposed to be nurtured spiritually. Um, and embraced, you know, maybe you feel alone or maybe you feel isolated or rejected um, because of the stigma of separation and divorce. And today I want to encourage you that you are not alone, that God is with you and that God sees your pain and he sees your grief and he loves and accepts you unconditionally. Um, But not only that, but the people who love you uh, will be there for you and will have your back. And so um, that's kind of the gist of this series entitled Separation and Divorce in Faith Communities. So let's start a little with my story. And... um, Before we start with my story, um, let's just take a little break. We'll be right back. And we're back. So I'm going to start with a little bit about my story and my background. Um, I am an identical twin girl. I was born in the 80s. (laughs) So I'm 39 years old. Um, I come from a big family. Um, I was raised in a two-parent um, household, and I was born on a pew, basically, of a Pentecostal apostolic church. So I spent most of my time in church services. Um, whatever the service w- was, I was pretty much there. <laughs> um, my dad is a deacon, so we were often the first to arrive at church and the last to leave. Um, so I spent a lot of time, um, worshiping God and, um, corporate worship and, uh, you know, whether it was Bible study, whether it was, um, church conventions, uh, corporate worship on Sundays, um, you know, whether it was an outing for young people or, you know, just simply getting together to hang out, eating after church, um, having a potluck, whatever the case was, we were at church. And, you know, I'm grateful for that. Um, the older I get, I really value that more so than I did when I was a, a young person. But, you know, I grew up in, in church. And, uh, of course, I had a very strict upbringing, um, which I value today, too. We would pray at home (laughs) and have Bible study at home. And so, you know, I think about those times now. And so coming from a big family, you know, we always, we had a lot of fun. You know, we had a lot of fun, but we also didn't have much. Um, So I'm grateful to God for my parents and 
you know, whatever you need to provide for us. Um, but I grew up in a warm home, and my dad worked. My mom stayed at home, and, we, you know, she took care of us. And, um, yeah, we attended church, and I began to work in the church at a young, young age, um, being a nurse, <laughs> and also, you know, going to Sunday school, um, singing in the choirs, all of those things, because I love to sing. And, um, you know, so I was taught to love God with all of my heart from a young age. And, you know, I had faith in God and I had a relationship with God at a young age. Um, and I was, you know, getting to know him at the age of 15. Um, I was born again. I received the gift of the Holy Ghost and um, was baptized earlier. And so... I began to really pursue God for myself and read God's word as a teenager and stand out for Christ and stand up and, you know, just be bold about uh, my beliefs, my morals and values wherever I went. And um, it wasn't easy as a teenager to, you know, not give in to peer pressure and all of those things. Um, but I did it, you know. I want to stop and encourage someone who has a teenager or someone who is a teen at this point, you know, that you can do it. You can stand out for God um, and you can be uniquely you. You don't have to be ashamed of your values and morals and of biblical living, biblical principles. It's totally possible. Now, don't get me wrong. It won't be easy, especially nowadays, but, um, you know, you can make it through. I'm a witness. I did it. So, you know, as a teenager, I was totally into God and I lived a very sheltered life as a, as a child and as an adolescent as well, where I spent most of my time in church and I really didn't um, have a social life, you know. Well, my parents did a wonderful job of, you know, getting us out into the community, um, but they were very protective of us. Um, I didn't really, you know, go out with friends. Um, a lot of friends that I made were at church. Um, I did make friends at school, um, but I was so focused on, you know, my schoolwork and the books and getting the right grades. And, um, you know, I was very active, though, in sports, and I made friends on sports teams. And, like, that was cool. I really enjoyed that. Actually, that was my favorite part of school was sports. <laughs> um, but the thing that I want to underscore with my upbringing was that I just was not um, aware of how to engage with the opposite sex. I just didn't have opportunities to date as dating was not allowed in my home. And so um, I really didn't have the opportunity to hang out with boys um, besides other than my brothers. Um, I didn't really get a chance to, you know, make mistakes and have my first kiss and, um, you know, go out and experience the ups and downs of relationships and be compromised. 
you know, personally. Um, now I saw my parents' relationship, but of course it's so different when you're a child looking at your parents um, interacting and of course they're growing up with you and you can perceive certain things, but a lot of things as a child, we know, we don't understand, you know, why your dad said this or why your mom said that. And, you, you, and not only that, but you're also having your own internal um, struggles, you know, as a child and as an adolescent. You're trying to figure out who you are. And so, you know, a lot of things, thoughts that you have are, you know, skewed. It's just a lot going on at that time. And so I never really had the experience of, you know, going out and dating and, you know, falling in love. And, you know, I had crushes, um, but they were simply like crushes in my in my mind. I never really acted on those crush, crushes. Um, maybe in elementary school, I had a couple of, you know, on and off, you know, boys that I liked and. You know, I had a boyfriend for like a week, and the next week he wasn't my boyfriend. So, you know, I really don't <laughs> count those. But um, so I was really sheltered. And even in college, I did not um, date, you know, because I was afraid of so much. I was afraid of so much, and I had already been um, taught to really focus on God and focus on my books. So those were my primary foci. And um, I think it was good for me in some respects. And in hindsight, it was not so good for me because I wasn't able to um, really learn what it meant to be in a relationship and to love someone else and to sacrifice and to compromise. And um, I was really clueless in a lot of, um, there's a lot of aspects about um, the opposite sex. You know, a lot of people, they they really don't understand that perspective. And so if you don't have that experience as a young person in, in your critical years um, during the times when you should be going out and dating and being social and learning how to be with the opposite sex or learning how to be with a partner, and um, if you don't have that, experience you really don't know you know you're naive about a lot of things um you don't you're you're ill-equipped to get into um, a marital relationship because you haven't had the opportunity you haven't had the time to really learn um you know and so just in hindsight I've realized that being in a relationship being in a friendship, being in a romantic relationship, they are, they are so, it's a skill set that you need in order to be successful. Um, there's some knowledge that you need to have. There's some understanding that you need to exercise. There's some unconditional love and some um, sacrifices that need to be made and that will continue to need to be made as you grow with that person. Um, and I just did not have that foundation. Um, even though I was 28 when I initially got married, there was so much that I did not understand, so much that I didn't know, and I dare say that marriage was a lot more than 
I was prepared for. Um, and, and that's one thing that I kind of want to underscore for those who are wanting to be married, um, those who are uh, desperate to have a partner, um, those who feel like they're missing out because they're single. Um, one thing that I would say is that, you know, marriage is a lot more than what you see, you know, at face value. And um, I, my advice is to really prepare yourself. You know, some would say, oh, you can't really prepare yourself. But I, I believe that you can. There are several things that you can do to prepare yourself for marriage. Um, but the challenge is that a lot of times um, it seems like the married club is just a, a, a closed society. It's like a secret society, you know, where people don't really talk, married people don't really talk about the challenges that they face um, to single people. And so single people a lot of times have this fantasy in mind when they think of marriage. And that fantasy doesn't exist. Um, so we have to really shatter some silence around what it means to be married. Um, and, and if we begin there, then we will have less um, divorces and faith communities. Um, and just, just in the world in general, when we begin to talk honestly and openly about what it takes to have a successful marriage. And so I really had no, no knowledge, no background, no experience about men other than the men that loved me um, and cared about me. And so I think that that was really a challenge for me. And, and it almost in a lot of ways felt like a setup for me to be unsuccessful in a marital relationship. Um, and so... And so, you know, I just had, I was just clueless. But anyway, um, I met my ex-husband at church. Um, he was a pastor, a young pastor. And, you know, I was, a, I was an evangelist at church, and I was really a gung-ho. And I still am very passionate about the Lord and about his call upon my life. But I think that at that time, I was so... Um, unbalanced in my life so you know I focused a lot on ministry I focused a lot on my personal relationship with God um, I did have friendships and um, you know relationships good relationships good friendships with my family members and then also with friends um, however I was just in my opinion not socially mature enough um, and so in a lot of ways, I was so, you know, heavenly minded that I, you know, wasn't earthly good in a lot of aspects. Um, however, I had lived on my own. I, had own, I owned my own property. Um, I was very doing very well in my career as, a, as an educator. And I had traveled around the world. I had had several experiences that, you know, those experiences that people tell you oh, man, you know, you need to do this before you get married. You need to do that before you get married. Um, I had had those experiences. And so, you know, I was living life on my own, and I was very successful. Um, you know, so 
I figured, hey, you know, I've been waiting to get married. I've been, you know, I was a virgin. Um, so I was not having sex. Um, and I was saving myself for my husband, you know. And at the time, I felt like this would be the, my only partner, you know, my lifelong partner. So, um, you know, I was, I figured, in the perfect place, you know, to consider marriage. Um, so, because, you know, like, in a lot of churches or church settings, like, marriage is um, the goal for women. You know, we're ready to get married and have a family, and, you know, that is the, the uh, ambition of a lot of women is to get married and to start a family. Um, you know, so I was 28 and for me, that was really late. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, you know, especially if you're waiting to, you know, be married, you're waiting to have sex in marriage within the covenant, um, that the God ordained, then you're just, um, really, you know, you're really, um, you're waiting to have to have sex because you want to please God and you want to have it within the covenant that God ordained. So I was doing all of that. Um, so I was kind of like in a frenzy, you know, in my mind, like, okay, will it ever happen for me? Um, you know, I was not desperate, but I really wanted a family um, because I saw many of my friends around me getting married. They were having children and I was, you know, pursuing my career and pursuing ministry. And um, I just felt like, you know, wow, this is great. Um, but I realized that that did not totally fulfill me. So I really wanted to, um, you know, have a family. I didn't want to miss the opportunity to create something beautiful. So, you know, I met my um, ex-husband and... Uh, we started dating, you know, we dated for about six months and we started to go to premarital counseling and unfortunately the premarital counseling, um, in my opinion, was uh, subpar. It was, in my in my opinion, not sufficient um, at the church where I attended. Um, and while, while we were dating, a lot of issues arose um, that I brought to the attention of the pastor that was uh, counseling us and um, he blew me off you know he questioned my um, the validity of my concerns and I brought the concerns to my ex-husband and um, you know he just denied them and so ultimately we ended up breaking up so we broke up, and I was like, I'm done. Um, and we didn't talk for months, and then all of a sudden, um, we reconnected because he got, he had an accident of some sort, like he got sick, and I found out he got sick, so I reached out, and I said, hey, are you okay? Um, but before we broke up, let me backtrack. Um, we broke up because... Another pastor had told him that, well, at least this is the way he told it to me. 
another pastor told him that he should just focus on ministry and he shouldn't, you know, worry about marriage. And so my, like, I was just, I was, my heart was shattered um, because I felt like, you know, you're breaking up with me based on what someone, some other pastor said, you know, like, is this a game or a joke? And so um, we broke up so he could focus on ministry. And I was just totally hurt. And so after that, um, he got sick. Months later, I found out. And I called him and asked him if he was okay. And, um, you know, then, of course, he told me, you know, he made a big mistake. You know, he wanted us to be together. And, of course, I just, you know, I, I told him, okay, you know, let's try again. Um, but this time, we were really just full speed ahead going into marriage, you know, with an intention to marry. So we married, like, really quickly. Um, and I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust myself. My parents weren't, you know, too cool about it. They were, you know, but they supported me. Um, but at that time, I just didn't understand why. They didn't, you know, support me and the people that I was looking to to um, tell me like, hey, I don't think you should do this, um, which were the church leaders. You know, I expected them to say, hey, you know, I don't think you should do this because I trusted that they had insight into the kind of person that my ex-husband was, considering he was a pastor. Um, but nobody said, hey, I don't think you should do this. Um and I just think it's important for people to speak up, you know. And sometimes you can't, sometimes if you're telling someone, I don't think you should do it, they can't hear you. Um, but sometimes they just need one person to step up and say, hey, I don't think this is a good decision. One trusted person. And I, mean, I think that my issue was I put the counsel of, church leadership above the council of my parents at that time because I was, you know, I was at church so much and I was really revered the leadership. Um, but that never came. It never came a time where they said, well, I don't think you're, you know, you're in, you should do this, you know. Well, your concerns are valid. You know, they, the leaders that I took my concerns to never said that and um, so it was really hard. I did not trust myself in my faith community. I, I trusted someone else, um, you know, to make a decision for me. That's in essence, you know, I leaned on someone else at the wrong time. Um, and so I've learned, I've since learned from that, but we got married and, um, quite honestly, it was a disaster from the beginning. <laughs> it was a disaster from the beginning. Um, I just remember feeling so alone. Um, I left the city of Chicago and I moved to Kankakee, Illinois. So I left everybody that I knew. I left my church home. I left my family base. I left my twin sister. Um, I mean, it was a nightmare. And I left to be with a man that I only had known for six months. 
um, it, it was just wild that I did that. I left and I didn't even really check out where we would be living. Um, you know, I'd been to his, in his home, you know, where he was renting and, um, but I didn't really, you know, look at the natural side of things. I spent a lot of time thinking about the ministry and service that I would be giving and, you know, would God approve of me helping to build the church, the founding church and everything that it would take. But I, that even still, I had no idea of everything that it would take to uh, establish the founding church, you know, and I learned, I'm like, woo, that was, that was a doozy. Um, it was a lot. Um, so yeah, we got married and, um, I'm going to talk about the marriage, um, after this break. I'll be right back. Thanks for coming back on with me. So our marriage was, um, if you could even call it that, really wasn't a marriage at all. Um, yes, we slept in, we slept in the same place, you know, we ate together, we went to church together, um, but there really was a lot of abuse, emotional, emotional abuse, and um, verbal abuse uh, that I received from my ex-husband. Um, I really didn't feel loved um, most of the time that we were married um, because of several reasons. That The first reason was uh, that our marriage really played out publicly in front of the founding church members. And um, was it's really difficult to... Um, nurture a marriage when your marriage is always in the public and when your marriage has to um, compete with another entity like a church because in order to establish a church you have to really give so much and you nurture the people um, you and your spouse are working together, um, and if there are no boundaries set um, to protect your marriage, your marriage will be destroyed by your ministry, which is essentially what happened in my case. Um, and so there was a lot of um, lying that happened on, on my, ex my ex-husband's part, um, once we got married, I realized that he lied about so much. Um, but me being naive, you know, as I would ask him questions and, you know, we made plans of what we wanted, wanted to do when we married. Um, you know, how much was his current income? Um, what was his career? Um, you know, what were his challenges? What were his dreams? A lot of those things I learned after we married um, were lies that he had told before we got married. Um, and, you know, it's kind of crazy because once we got married, um, he told me he was making a certain amount of money. But then all of a sudden, once we married, he was not getting hours at work. 
Um, and he told me, you know, I think I should go uh, full-time in ministry. And so I was thinking like, okay, you know, I want to do God's will. But I really didn't understand what that meant, him going full-time in ministry while I was working full-time. Um, and so, you know, I prayed about it, but I did not ask anybody else about it. I didn't, we didn't seek counsel, which is a big mistake. And, you know, I just said, you know, I want him to be happy if he feels like that's what God wants him to do. And I said, yeah, I said, okay, you know, we can do this. Um, you know, but that just sent our marriage into a spiral as well, because I was the sole breadwinner and, um, that just changed everything. You know, I just had so many emotions. I felt like I was being used financially. And he was, you know, working so hard to establish the ministry um, that we would be at so many services. Um, we would have so many services. He spent so much time with the church members that by the time it was time for us to spend time, he was totally spent. And for me, that was very difficult because I was financially supporting our family, but not only was I supporting our family financially, but I was supporting uh, the church financially because many um, of the people in the church were minors. Um, they were young people without careers, without money. And so um, they were, in essence, you know, eating up the money from the church instead of giving to the church and building the church. Um, it was just a whole lot. Um, there were a lot of things that were said that to me by my ex-husband that were very emotionally abusive. Um, a lot of his actions were, and I don't necessarily want to go into those things because this podcast is not about him, but I just wanted to share with you some of my experiences being married um, you know, we got to a point where I, you know, we were thinking of divorcing and separating. Um, and I wanted to, for us to get counsel, you know, to go start counseling. Of course, you know, he didn't want to go to counseling. So, you know, we were in a bad predicament and we, we couldn't get help because, of course, I could get help and get counseling, you know, but we my my ex was not willing to receive counseling even from a pastor and so we were kind of at a standstill and so um you know there was a point in our marriage where um we had a power struggle and my ex left you know and I reached out to ministers in my faith community um and there was silence you know no one um, could seem to help me. You know, I was in a very desperate position because here I was, you know, not really talking to anyone about what was happening except for um, a leader that I, a mentor that I had and um, leaders in my faith community because I did not want to destroy his reputation. And I was thinking, oh, you know, maybe we might be able to work through this. Um, but I received no support, you know, um, one pastor actually told me to, um, stay in the marriage and think about my ex's ministry, 
And so I was supposed to like sacrifice myself and be the sacrificial lamb so that his ministry uh, could continue to grow and remain intact. It was just, you know, comments like that and philosophies like that and, and, you know, um, perspectives that sacrifice women and put women in danger um, in those situations are very um, detrimental and unacceptable. And so the very people, which most of them were men, that I was looking to to help me or to um, talk to him or to um, grant, give us counsel was, were turning a deaf ear or giving me incredibly erroneous counsel, you know, at that time. So I felt alone. I felt a lot of pain um, and hurt in that marriage. I felt abandoned by people. Uh, I definitely was abandoned by my ex, and I felt abandoned by God. You know, I spent a lot of time in prayer and fasting and crying out to God and asking God to fix it and um, reading marriage books and trying to talk to my ex and just just feeling hurt. Um, it was a very, very dark time. And during this time, I, I, I had spoken with my parents um, a little about this, you know, about what I was experiencing, but very, very little. Um, and I remember um, my dad saying, you're married, you know, you have to stay in this marriage. And so a lot of people, you know, that I trusted told me, you know, you made your bed, now you have to sleep in it. So that was very hurtful, you know, to be in a faith community that um, essentially said you're married regardless of divorce or regardless of neglect. Um, you have to stay in this marriage. It was very difficult for me. Um, and so ultimately, you know, our conflicts, um, you know, were continue to like escalate until it reached the peak and um, a day I believe it was a day before a day or two before our uh, third year anniversary uh, my ex packed up his things and walked out the door and left and I, I will never forget it because we had gotten to a place where we were just existing in the same space. And um, I had prayed to God. I was so tired of hurting and being, being, feeling so alone and neglected. Um, I had gotten to a place where I was tired of putting on a show for like church people, whereas he would get up to speak. <clears throat> excuse me, and he would give me all these accolades. This is my wife and this and that, and she's wonderful and awesome. And then when we, when we would get home, he would literally not want to talk to me um, 
and would spend most of his time away from me. Um, so it was very hurtful to love someone who, really, was just that defect, deceptive. Um, so I had to ask God, like, Lord, please just, just let him be. You know, why, why are we doing this? Why are we here? Um, after he flat out told me, you know, I don't love you anymore. And that, you know, he had been trying to tell me that for a while. So um, after that, I just asked God, like, Lord, please just let him leave, you know, because of the controversy of, oh, if you, you know, if you get a divorce, who was in the wrong? Who faulted? Who cheated? Um, who was unfaithful? You know, in so many, you know, in so many faith communities, a lot of believers believe that you have to have evidence of someone cheating on you in order to divorce. You know, that the, that abuse is not enough of a reason to leave a marriage. And I totally disagree. You know, God doesn't want us to be hurting and in pain and in an abusive situation that's destroying us um, day by day. And so if you're at that point where you've been, you're in an abusive relationship, I would advise you to get out of it if at all possible, if it's, if it's destroying who you are, if it's hurting you and it's hurting the people that you love, um, God doesn't want you there. And he is not obligating you to stay there, regardless of what people say. And so when he walked out that door, it was 2013, um, immediately I felt a sense of relief. And um, I was hurting. I was grieving a marriage. Absolutely. You know, um, divorce and separation is, you feel the same pain that you feel when you lose someone who you love because you you've lost a love you're grieving a loss you're grieving an expectation you're grieving the life that you thought you would have the life that you wanted with your partner who you thought you'd be with for the rest of your life and so if you're at this point where you are um separated or you are divorced I empathize with you I feel you I understand the pain and the struggle and know the journey well but I want to encourage you that God is with you you may have had people even family members that did not agree with your decision to separate or your decision to divorce but that's okay it's not about them it's about you and you need to do what's right for you. But God is with you. He was with you all the time. And so that's that's one thing that I realized that God was there in my story. He was there in my struggle. And um, he's with me now. So 2013, I was abandoned. And I had no idea where my ex was. 
Um, however, I was so afraid of filing for divorce. I was so afraid, and um, I felt, you know, because of what I'd been taught about divorce, I just, you know, I was afraid of what people would say about me. Would they say, you know, she divorced him, she's not saved. Um, and then he was also telling other people that, you know, I was going to divorce him, creating this idea that I was this, you know, horrible person when I was doing all of these things to him. Instead of being honest about our situation. And so, you know, I was, I was just afraid. I was afraid, um, but which which is why I didn't end up filing for divorce until 2015. So two years, I stayed married to my ex. Um, but the challenge was that, you know, during those two years, I had several um, companies contacting me and telling me that we owe debts. Um because everything was in my name, because I was the sole breadwinner for a long time. And then once he started working, I was still taking care of our family. I don't know, you know, what he was doing with his money. Um, we were both working, but I was taking care of us. And uh, that was very painful. But I had creditors calling me saying, you know, we have this debt, we have, you know, we did, you know, he didn't pay when clearly he had told me that he paid and I'd given him money to pay. Um, and so I ended up during our separation, I ended up paying thousands of dollars um, of debt that he had accumulated or we had accumulated and he said he had paid, but he never paid it. And so it was a very, um, just a very tough time for me. And I finally decided to divorce um, with the encouragement of my new pastors at the time um, because, you know, legally we were, you know, bound to each other. And I would just continue to get these messages or get these calls that he he owed you know I didn't know where he was or what he was doing so and so to be liable for that um was totally it was a nightmare um so I filed for divorce in 2015 and um tracked him down found out where he was and um served him the papers and Thankfully, he signed the papers, and I, we were able to divorce. And so it's just been a journey. It's been a, a journey, um, you know, it's been a journey. It's been a very painful journey, you know, and God has really brought me through so much. Um If you're at this point where you are 
getting divorced and you're not supported by your faith community or you're not supported by your family, I want to to let you know that God sees you and he supports you. It's just so much to be said. Once I divorced, I felt so alone in our faith communities. Um, my church was amazing. My pastor and first lady absolutely loved them. Uh, pastor Larry and uh, Christy Garcia and um, at the Pentecostal Community Church, they saved my life, literally. They encouraged me to divorce because of abandonment and um abuse they nurtured me back to health I was so broken and just hurting so deeply um, because in my opinion it wasn't supposed to go down like that I saved myself I married a pastor when I was dedicated to the ministry um, I really was gung-ho for God and I felt that it shouldn't have happened to me. You know, like, why? Why did I have to go through this? You know, why? And, um, you know, they really nurtured me back to health spiritually. And they became my family. They loved on me. Um, they just were so understanding and empathetic and really became parents to me. Not only spiritual parents, but, um, you know, natural parents, because I didn't have family in Kankakee. So it was it was really a blessing to be a part of the Pentecostal Community Church, and I really owe them an incredible debt um, for nurturing me back to health. But in a lot of the faith communities, divorced people, separated people, seem to have no place. You know, if you're older than 30 <laughs> and you're not married um, but you're divorced uh, there seems to be not even a space for the divorced community the separated community there's not an opportunity to talk about it so I, there's there was a lot of loneliness you know during this time and so I just want to encourage you that you're not alone you know there there are a lot of people who have had this experience, myself included. Um, so yeah, if you have questions, you can feel free to send me your questions um, at author S.C. Faye Taylor at gmail.com author S.C. Faye Taylor E-S-S-I-E-F-A-Y-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R at gmail.com. And please put in the title line, Ask Essie, A-S-K-E-S-S-I-E. I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear your comments. Share this episode if you want. Um, but know that, you know, this is a community where we speak from the heart and, 
it's nothing like having a heart to heart with a friend. So I'm here. I want to pray for you if you are experiencing separation or divorce. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Father, because you You know our coming in and our going out. Heavenly Father, I pray on behalf of my brother and my sister who are experiencing separation and divorce. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will meet them at the point of their need. I pray, Lord God, that you would make your presence known and confirm your blessing upon their lives. I pray, God, that you would ease the pain that they feel, Lord God. God, I pray that you would send them comfort to their hearts and their minds and send healing, for by your stripes we are healed. Father, you said that healing is the children's bread. It is our right. It is, hallelujah, our birthright, Father, because we are your children. Hallelujah. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak to their hearts and minds in the name of Jesus. And Lord God, that you would put people in their paths, hallelujah, that would encourage them, strengthen them, build them up. Draw them closer to you. I pray that you would make it plain to the purpose and the pain that they are experiencing. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Father, for walking alongside us on journey to heal. And we give you praise. We give you praise, Lord, even in the pain. We give you praise, Father, even in the loneliness and the sorrow. We give you praise, Father, even in the weeping, oh God. Because weeping may endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. Joy is coming. And Father, we thank you for hearing us because you said whatever we ask in prayer believing, we shall receive. And we call it done in the mighty name of Jesus. You are going to make it through this. You are going to grow through this. You are going to overcome. You're not going to cry the whole way. God is with you. And I'm with you too. I love you. Thank you so much for joining Heart to Heart with SFA for our first episode series entitled Separation and Divorce in Faith Communities. I pray that you've been strengthened, encouraged, and I pray 